Rockford. This is Mr. Dow. If you think I'm going to pay to have your car repainted, you're nuts. You can take your expense bill and stuff it. Welcome to 200 a Day, a podcast where we explore the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Poletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. Which episode of The Rockford Files are we talking about today, Epi? We're talking about Sleight of Hand. It's from the first season. I do not recall offhand what episode number, but uh, it's midway through it. Chose Sleight of Hand uh, because the first time I saw it, I did not, I was unaware that it was based on a novel uh, by uh, Howard Brown. But I was aware while watching it that it was not your standard Rockford Files episode. It felt, I don't want to say out of place, uh, it stuck out. It stuck out in um, some interesting ways. So I thought it'd be fun to talk about this one. Episode 15. Yeah, uh, though, note for Netflix watchers, the, the Netflix numbering is different because of the pilot being a two-episode, oh, a two-parter. Makes sense. I yeah. finally figured out why that was yeah. different. But yeah, sleight of hand. Yeah, I did not remember this one at all, actually. Uh, and then when it started, I kind of started remembering it. But yeah. uh, it definitely does have... Almost more of a noir sense to it yeah. than a lot of other Rockford Files episodes. The Rockford Files don't hesitate from hitting you hard with some heavy emotions, but mm-hmm. this one, like from the get go, there's sadness pervading you know, throughout all of it. So yeah, it's it's kind of a downer. Um, yeah. That's fine. Like there's there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, I wasn't really expecting it until the episode kind of set me up to understand that. It was going to be a little less uh, less of a happy ending than many yeah. other episodes. You know, previously uh, when we talked about like my own personal memory of Rockford Files when I was a kid, like the show depressed me, and I'm now I'm wondering if this is an episode I had seen as a child or episodes along these lines where I was like, why why would you watch why would you watch this sad man? But now I know now I know why. Mm-hmm. It is a joy to watch the sad man. Yeah, it is more of a contrast to the uh, to the the uh, quote unquote normal episode, I guess, yeah. than others. At some point, we'll need to decide on which episode we want people to to look at as a normal episode. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll figure that out. But uh, this one, not so much. So we've talked before, also a little bit about the experimental nature of some of the filming. Yeah. And I think this episode also capitalized on that um, a little bit uh, with the fair, again, with the, the, the way it used kind of the flashback sequence and some of the uh, visual cutting back and forth to emphasize some of, some of the emotional turmoil that I think we really see in Rockford in this one. In fact, I mean, maybe we should talk about that very first scene where he's walking on the beach. Mm-hmm. Before we get right into that, I do want to point out, uh, that the director of this episode, William uh, Weird or Ward, not sure how to pronounce his last name. I noticed some of the directorial stuff. I looked at the director and then clicked through, and he ended up directing a ton of episodes um, oh. through uh, the rest of the series, including a bunch of two-parters and some of the more um, intense uh, issues episodes. Uh, but this is the first one for him. So it's kind of interesting. Maybe we'll be able to, to notice uh, some of his other things and see how he treats it as a, as a recurring director in the show. That might be an interesting thing to keep track of as we go forward. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, so we start off sleight of hand with uh, a shot of Rockford in his general everyday suit, uh, sport coat wearing, wearing this open collar, uh, walking sadly down the beach. Well, that, so because this is the first thing that strikes me is that how 
well-dressed he is for walking sadly down the beach. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't seem wrong. Rockford lives on the beach. Right. Um, Before we go too deep into it, do we want to talk about uh, the preview shots? Sure. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so the the preview shots that that set up. So again, every episode kind of gives you a couple uh, a couple scenes from the, the episode to come to hook you in so that you watch the full thing, right? Yeah. And so just based on those, we know that this episode is going to be about uh, Rockford has a girlfriend that's missing, and he's having some kind of conflict with the police over trying to find her, and uh, that there's going to be a car chase happening, and our last scene of the preview cuts before we see what happens with this car chase as the car is skidding out of control. We also get Rockford on the phone, on two phones, two pay phones. Oh, right. Yeah. To uh, the uh, fire department and the police at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's already setting us up for kind of a uh, more personal episode, I think, because it's very specifically about a a woman that Rockford is seeing is missing. So when we get to, to Sad Rockford on the beach, he's he's walking along the beach, and then there's these quick cuts of a woman in a bathing suit face down in the water. Yeah. And then it cuts back, like, just a couple frames, just a, maybe half a second, right? Almost subliminal. Like, the, yeah. you get the... They're kind of delightfully violent. Like, the scenes themselves aren't graphic, but the fact mm. that the cuts hit so fast and then disappear, as the audience, you're, you, you see a Sad Rockford, but then you're like, whoa. What was that? <laughs> yeah, and it's cutting, and when it cuts back to his face, he frowns or grimaces, and yeah. so it's very clearly like some kind of uh, recollection or flashback or maybe premonition uh, that right. he's having. It reminds me of the situation that you're in where something recent, but not too recent, it, awful has happened in your life, and mm-hmm. you're just trying to get to the point where you're not thinking about it all the time. It's the it's the game, right? The moment you think about the game, you lose the game. That, that <laughs> right. game, and and so it just really felt to me like those moments. He's walking along the beach, maybe trying to forget what's going on, maybe not. Like I don't think he's ruminating on this situation. Yeah, it I seems think he like... just keeps punching him in the gut because yeah. his brain won't stop thinking about it. And the nature of the cuts is very like this is breaking into his mind. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like he's not analyzing. He's not planning he's kind of trying to get past this or figure something else out so again with that and also the music is very uh yes. kind of plaintive actually i think it's pretty quiet through most of this scene i notice in this episode uh there's a lot less underscoring there are a lot more naturalistic just environmental noise without yeah. without scored music um and the, but- and then the music that it does have is um particularly interesting like the the they take discordant notes quite often. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Rockford heads down the beach. He's having these these flashbacks or whatever they are. And he ends up on a porch um, where his dad, Rocky, comes out to to talk to him. And he comes out holding a pot of coffee. We get to see a good, a good amount of Rocky in this episode yeah. um, as kind of father and advisor. For the uninitiated, Rocky is Jim's dad. Rocky is Joseph Rockford. Oh. Everyone calls him Rocky. And then who we call Rockford is James Rockford, and everyone calls him Jim. Except for yes. some people call him Jimmy uh, or Rockfish, as we'll get to eventually. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so so Rocky's his dad, um, played by uh, Noah Barry or Beery. Yeah, Junior. Uh, yes. Uh, and he's a, a, a great, kind old man with, with opinions. If he were an actor today that the internet would meme about today... They would show a picture of either him or Ernest Borgnine, and then the whole internet would argue about which was which. 
So the relationship between Jim and Rocky is uh, definitely an interesting one. Is reoccurring is in lots of uh, Rocky's in lots of episodes. Sometimes yeah. they center around him. Sometimes he's more of a side character like he is in this one. But they definitely have this kind of loving but semi-contentious relationship where Rocky is always worrying about Rockford, is always concerned yes. about what he's getting into, often for his physical safety, uh, and is also always kind of giving him giving him lip about like how he's not making enough money and how yeah. he should find another line of business and stuff like that. But here, in this particular scene, it's great because he immediately goes straight to the core of the matter. He comes out, uh, Jim is clearly uh sad and rocky just addresses it right away what's going on what, well he even what, says something about like no no uh banter or something i forget exactly what he right, says yeah, but he, yeah. he even calls out how it's like rockford is too uh sad or distraught or depressed or whatever to engage in their typical banter yeah uh he just isn't feeling it which is again unusual so uh rocky brings him coffee he refuses coffee and then kind of gives us a little exposition about what has brought Jim to this state. Like what's, what's bothering you and you couldn't control what happened and some stuff like that. I know you're, you're worrying about it. What if you tell me about it and maybe that'll help you remember or help me help you. And that establishes yeah. the first frame narrative frame of the episode, which is we have a flashback where Rockford is telling his dad about what happened. So, yeah. So we get a Rockford voiceover, which right. is not a common thing. In the Rockford Files. And it's because of this framing device where he's telling Rocky what happened under the assumption that he's already told Rocky what happened. Right. And he's just kind of reiterating it so he can kind of go over the facts again, which is great. Uh, Rocky has a good instinct for this. And before we go right into that, I have an important question. Okay. Where are they? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> like, this location doesn't so, match any of the typical, like, Rockford locations, because they're not in his trailer. Yeah, they're on the beach. They're on um, the beach, but... It's a they, house yeah. on the beach. And, it's, and kind of, it's a nice place, maybe a rental of some sort. It doesn't appear to be, like, a restaurant, because Rocky's carrying yeah. the coffee around himself and, like, pouring for them both and taking the, the dishes and stuff. And there's no one else there. It's established in other episodes that Rocky lives in, like, a house kind of somewhere in Malibu or something. Yeah. Like, he, he lives in inland, inland a little bit, yeah. uh, while Rockford obviously lives in a trailer on the beach. And this is neither of those places. So this sticks in my mind a bit, because it could easily have been his trailer. Mm -hmm. No problem. Uh, but it's not, right? The, the, it would, there would have been no problem having Rocky step out of Rockford's trailer with coffee for him. Right. And them having that exact same scene there. You know, it's been a while since I watched the first episodes. I don't know if there's a situation that they're addressing there or not. Like, but anyways, yeah, I don't it, know. Just, if, if it's it going to be it's a pretty, mystery for me. Yeah, if it is, it's, it's pretty subtle because yeah. I don't recall any dialogue about it or anything like that. So I wonder if it was just like on some location and that's just where they shot or if there's something that got cut out of the episode that would have explained it. But yeah, that, that was a little weird. But we get into this flashback and uh, Rockford has been dating this woman named Karen for some some number of months, I think later we learn it's she's been uh, split up from her ex husband for six months or something six like months, that. Yeah. As people who have watched the show, uh, we don't know her. It, it, uh, this is something that's clearly happened 
Hmm. either behind the scenes or since the previous episode. She's a one-off, a one-off character just for yeah. this episode. So uh, he started dating this woman, Karen, who has a daughter, Julie. So Rockford, Karen, and Julie went up to San Francisco for a weekend. And, and Julie then, is, I, can't, I think they even said in the episode, like eight or ten years old, somewhere yeah, in there. she's pretty young. Yeah. So they went to San Francisco for the weekend, uh, and we catch up with them as they're driving back down from San Francisco. And it's this very, like, human warm kind of scene where Karen and Jim are just kind of like bantering a little bit and she's kind of making fun of him a little bit for like not knowing anything about boats but they're not fighting they're not bickering it I think I'm going to probably use the word realism a lot for this first half of this episode it's a very realistic um, grounded kind of mature relationship that we're, we're, we're seeing in just a couple of minutes as they talk in this car and it's a it's a late night car drive, a long drive, and you get the you definitely get that sense of the the long the long haul that they're tired and they're just going to push through until they get home. They talk a little bit about how uh, she's she's falling asleep, and he's like, "Well, if we stop for coffee, then I'll be good to get us through the night." And then we catch up with them as they pull up to her house, uh, Karen's house. Karen and, and the daughter are both asleep in the back of the car. They pull up to the house. Uh, Rockford takes Julie like she's still asleep. Uh, so he picks yeah. her up to carry her in and put her to bed. And basically, in between the time that Rockford picks up Julie, goes into the house, puts her into bed, and comes back downstairs, Karen is gone. So Karen goes into the house before him. Yeah, he sees yeah, her going he into the house unlock. before him. She unlocks yeah. the door and walks into the house. Yeah. And then she's not there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he comes down and starts calling her name and walking around. And again, there's no incidental music during this part. It's just yeah. the night sounds and the sounds of his foot of his footsteps and just walking around calling her name. And it gets apparent very quickly how weird and, and unusual this is and how he's getting increasingly worried. And then he sees uh, her purse sitting there. Right. It's and even weirder. That, that is, I think, the moment he calls mm -hmm. uh, his friend Sergeant Becker. Yes. So Sergeant Becker is a police sergeant with the LAPD and personal on again, off again friend <laughs> of Jim Rockford. Uh, he's a recurring character. He comes up in lots of episodes. He's one of the most endearing characters to me. I think yeah. he's clearly a good man doing a hard job and he's always caught in between Jim asking him for favors, like to run license plates uh, or like, uh, you know, arrest people on suspicion without having evidence and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, quasi-legal. Yeah, some quasi-legal maneuvers and his responsibilities to, you know, enforce the law and be answerable to his superiors, none of whom like Jim Rockford. Yeah. It's important, I think, uh, maybe not particularly for this case, but it's important to know that Becker is a clean cop. He's a tired, grumpy old man. Well, he's not particularly old. He's the same age as Rockford, but he's clean. He, he's trying to do right by the world. So in this case, he's, he's still at the office at 2.30 a.m. when yeah. uh, Jim calls. And uh, this is through TV sleight of hand. Jim is always able to just call him directly, regardless yeah. of where he is in the building. Like, you think <laughs> there'd be a switchboard or something? But well, there, There's that moment where uh, he picks up the phone and he goes, what, at 2.30? Like, he's specifically yeah. like, all right, put him through. But, you know, he's worried. He calls Dennis. Um, that's it. Becker's first name is Dennis, and and kind of explains to her. I came home with you know my friend. She wasn't in front of me more than twenty seconds, and now she's gone. Uh, the police are called, and so and he, they arrive on the scene. He tells them to bring a matron. 
Right. Because that there's a young daughter here who may have to be taken to her father's. I think that was the thing that really set off some bells for for uh, Becker. Like he, uh, that was just a, like a, a good moment to say, this is how important this is. Because right. up till now, Becker is used to Rockford. He wouldn't like lie to him to get him to do. So. Well, I mean, he would, but he wouldn't right. like this one. But this is Rockford letting him know that this is serious business, right? Now. This is, right. This, is, this a- isn't some kind of like I have this suspicion about this thing. You guys had better get over here, yeah. which is a, kind of a typical call to to Sergeant Becker, like yeah. like something illegal is going to happen. I can't tell you how I know that, but you should get over here. Uh, Jim is concerned about the daughter. Um, yeah. and also, and knows that like, if there's going to be a bunch of stuff going on, she's going to need somewhere to like go, uh, which would be her father's house. Also introducing, um, kind of slipping in the, the idea that the parents are split up and that yeah. the dad's available somewhere. Just an incidental little detail. So the cops arrive on the scene. Sergeant Becker, uh, talks to Jim. Uh, he's very on edge, very agitated as, is having no patience for kind of the typical banter again. Yeah. Um, and we get a little bit of uh, of Dennis kind of being like, look, I have to ask you these questions. Mm-hmm. Like, it's an investigation. You know, like, how did you know her? Like, all that kind of uh, uh, stuff. A new wrinkle is introduced as some of the cops who are searching around find a dead man in the bushes near to the property. Using the classic TV, Sergeant, you should come over and see this. I can quickly describe to you what happened, and then you'll want to go over, but instead... For the sake of the audience, right. we'll, we'll tell you that you should come over and we'll hold suspense for just a little bit longer. Let's get the camera over here to see this. Yeah. And at first, I think, uh, also because I'm not super good at recognizing people's faces and hair and stuff like that. So it might have just been me. But I think at first, there's a little bit of like, oh, is that Karen? Because right? Right. there's like a body in the bushes. Yeah, it's a little hard to see what kind of body it is. And yeah. then someone clarifies, like, this man is dead or something like that. Yeah. So Becker starts asking Jim more questions, gets his back up more. Uh, Jim's like, what? Do you think this is related somehow? And he has a great line. Becker has a great line of, there's an old cop saying, never believe in coincidence. Yeah. Which is also a very good uh, saying for for putting together a story that needs to be told in a compressed amount of time. Yeah, exactly. No coincidences. Everything has to do with everything else. So now that there's a dead body involved, and Jim was there, and it seems to be there seems to be some kind of correlation. Um, they bring him back to the station house, where we get to meet Lieutenant Deal. Lieutenant uh, Deal, who has less patience for Jim than Becker does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he seems to take it personally that this PI is always uh, tapping the police department to do his dirty work, essentially, or to do yeah. his official work that he can't do because he's a private citizen. In this case, uh, I think, I believe this character has occurred before in the season, right? Uh, at least one more episode, or yeah. one earlier episode, yeah. He will occur again. He he, yes. he shows up, yeah. Yeah, he comes back later, but I didn't really remember him, um, his name. And then this was another little detail where something that this show does a lot, and that I think this episode in particular does a lot, which is instead of having exposition about who people are, as soon as they're introduced, you just see them for a little bit, and then someone will say their name. Yeah, yeah. Like, at some point, someone's like, look, Lieutenant Deal... But it's yeah. halfway through the scene where he's just, you know, him and, and Rockford are going at it. Speaking of names, up in this mess here is when uh, we get Becker calls uh, Rockford Jimbo. Oh, which yeah. we're, we're talking about, you know, I think he's the only one who calls him Jimbo. I think uh, you're right. It's great. It's a nice little, like, I don't, I don't 
recall the history that Rockford and Becker have, but it mm-hmm. seems to go back to even maybe childhood, right? Like, I think they go way back. But Yeah, um, I'm not sure if it's ever if we ever learn why they're friends. Yeah. But something keeping Becker from locking Rockford up and never talking to him again. So in this scene, we see uh, Lieutenant Deal kind of coming down hard on Rockford, asking him all these questions and, and basically reading him his rights, telling him that, you know, what he yeah. says can be used against him. And Rockford's like, well, why is that? Are you charging me with something? And we see a little bit here about how Rockford knows the law. Like he knows... Yeah what the legal status is, what the difference is between being questioned and being charged uh, and being booked and like all those things. And he knows how to play those angles to like keep himself from perjuring himself or from being in some kind of legal entanglement. Yeah. Uh, so he knows how to play the game. Right. And so uh, deal kind of backs off and is like, well, here's all the evidence as I see it and kind of questions him a little more in a manner that gives the audience a little more information. First of all, that they, they talk to the girl, to the, the daughter, and that the daughter said that uh, mommy didn't come home with us. And so Robert's like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. Like, she was just asleep in the back. Like, you're going to listen to some nine-year-old kid over what I have to say. He's outraged. Uh, he's like, I'm just telling you what she said. It's evidence, you know. Yeah. And then also they kind of break down where and when they stopped on their drive from San Francisco. Like, where they stopped for dinner and whether anyone saw them and stuff like that. Which establishes that there's a two-hour window between when they last stopped for um, for coffee and when they got to the house. That no and one saw them. Structurally speaking, in the story right now, this is kind of interesting because... Uh ostensibly we're getting this story as Jim is telling Rocky this story. Right. So this is Jim telling Rocky about the time he told the cops about what happened earlier in the story that he's already told Rocky about. Yes. And and we're getting more information about it. So, um, and the whole structure of this episode will do that. There'll be uh, moments where it just kind of calls back to earlier stuff and things start uh, like a tumbler and a lock, like things mm-hmm. start falling into place. And then uh, each time it, it, he goes over it, something more important happens. Mm-hmm. And also this is a very point of view episode. Like everything yeah. that we're, all the information we were learning is what Rockford actually knows at yeah. each point in time. Not, which again is not always how these are structured uh, and is interesting in terms of there is a little bit of an evolving uh, mystery that the audience can start to put together, could potentially put together before Rockford does, because there's some dramatic distance between when we realize something and when he realizes something. And and there's another little bit in this scene, just at the beginning of this, when he first comes to the police station, where in the background, we get a clue. So here's another bit where, is Rockford telling... He's, I mean, he's certainly not telling Rocky what the cops are talking about in the background when he first comes into the police station, right? Like this is, but the cops are talking about a fugitive. They're talking about uh, a mob boss who they think might be in Mexico or be making a play for Mexico. And right, right now in this moment, this is just background chatter at a police station, but spoiler, it's it's going to become important. Yeah. And I remember kind of thinking, that seems like a weird detail. Right. I mean, like, I bet it'll be important later. But it is also establishing just a little bit of, like, the cops have a lot of things going on, right? Like, yeah. they're not yeah. always focused on what Rockford's focused on. So it kind of serves both purposes in that <laughs> they moment. They're not just here to deal with this stuff. We also get another statement here about how Rockford does not get involved in open cases. 
Yes. Right? They're like, we're yes. going to investigate this. He's like, great. Like, yeah, like, and I, I think Deal says something like, you know, we don't want you poking around and messing this up. And he's like, I don't get involved with open cases. Oh. Well, he specifically tells him to ask Becker. Ask, you know, like, yeah. I don't get involved in open mm-hmm. Yeah, he kind of throws then. Becker under the bus a little bit. <laughs> Cut to him going back to the scene of the crime and uh, yes. wandering around the periphery while cops are there still. This is another, this is almost like a nested flashback because mm-hmm. we again have voiceovers and he's kind of putting together details in his mind. And as the audience, we're getting this via voiceover. Yes. So these voiceovers kind of highlight some of the key pieces of evidence so far about like the little girl said mommy didn't come home and... So you were alone for two hours and a couple other things um, kind of showing yeah. that he's trying to work out some kind of plausible explanation for what happened. And this, these aren't his voices. These are the audios from previous in the episode. Yeah, right? like these are the previously the... recorded dialogue that we already yeah. heard. Yeah. That's kind so of you... getting represented to us. Yeah. While he's doing this, he, he he's walking around. He ends up sitting down on a bus stop bench yeah. and then notices that it's a bus stop. And then gets that look in his eye of like, I have an idea. Um, there's, there's even like a music cue at that moment. So they're yeah. like, ha ha. And, and the camera actually zooms in to show the bus stop over his shoulder after he walks out of the frame. Yeah. It's very like, dear audience, this is important. <laughs> and now Rockford has an idea. This is good because this, um, yeah, this, this tells the audience why he's, we're going to see him next at the bus uh, depot. It's not so much uh, like, keep this in mind. It's more like. He's about to do something, and there's no reason for him to just tell the air. Like, but right. there is. I mean, they technically do have a reason. They could have him cut in with his voiceover to Rocky and say it, but the, mm-hmm. they just decided to do it this way. Well, but it's, it's one of the it's one of the many methods. I think that TV in general, but in specific, this kind of show uses to to show continuity between why you go from A to B. Right. right. Yeah. And in this case, they're kind of this scene is over. We're showing you this visual of the bus stop sign so that when he shows up at the bus depot next scene, we know why. Um, and, uh, you know, the, this this particular episode uses a bunch of those tools in different ways. It uses the voiceover, it uses the conversation, it uses exposition, and it uses these visual cues in different spots to pace out the thing. So it's not all exposition. It's yeah. not all voiceover, which is good. I think it, it makes it flow more realistically and evenly. Uh, for me, at least. So, yeah, we pick up at the bus depot where he's obviously tracked down uh, the driver of that particular bus. Uh, he asks whether he picked up a woman the night before. And we learn that he did pick up some woman, but he can't positively ID the, right. the picture. At this point, people, <clears throat> specifically this bus driver, but a few other people will be cagey about. He'll show him a picture mm-hmm. of uh, uh, Karen and... They'll be like, I don't, I don't know. I, she was a blonde, right? Like that's the the which is the response that he gets from people. Which is part like maybe that's a thing. Uh, have they been like paid off or something, or is it just a thing where like people don't really notice people unless they have a reason to, right? Um, it's kind of an open question for a lot of these interactions. Yeah, and th- and this like we get this again wonderful thing about rockford files is that every character is a character and so this guy like i think this is the guy who tells him you should get it encased in plastic he shows him the picture yeah he says you get that encased in plastic it's gonna wear out or you know? wear like, out yeah yeah like just like un- unsolicited it's clearly not rockford's concern right now and, right and 
And then also, like, he lays out this line, like, about how, how many years it's been since he's paid attention to a woman like that. Yeah, because like, he's like, kind of an older guy. Yeah. yeah. So this guy was very eager to get across the fact that he's, he's a living, breathing human being with his own concerns and his own life and his own opinions. Yeah. And he's not just an extra in some detective show. I love that. I love yeah, that. Yeah, he's great. And then he he does mention that uh, the woman didn't have a purse, which he does remember because yeah. she had to fumble around for the fare in her pockets, yes. which is unusual, right, for, you know, for, yeah. for a woman to come on and not have her purse just with her, the fare. This is an, another little sleight of hand where we, we see point A, which is him talking yeah. to the bus driver, and then we cut to point D, essentially, which is he's tracked whoever this woman is, whether it's Karen or or not, tracked her to this uh, hotel. And he mentions in passing that he basically figured out that she took two cabs to get there. Right. So we don't see him talking to the two cab drivers because it's not really that important, right? Like what's important right. is that we know that she went through all this trouble to get to this hotel in a way that hopefully she wouldn't be found is right. the, the implication. A bus to a cab to another cab to the hotel. Right. And then the hotel, uh, the front desk guy uh, is kind of a slimy weirdo who is very insistent about um, people stay here because they want their privacy. Right. And then Rockford's like, well, how much, you know, how much do I have to pay you, right, to, to you know, not worry about that, essentially. And the guy doubles down. He's like, no, it's just I can't do that. And then we get to see angry Rockford. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Angry Rockford is a goddamn poet. Because <laughs> he's like, there's. I wrote this line down. He was like, I'm going to come across his desk and climb your tree. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, the uh -huh. weird slang that he uses when he's really mad and serious about it is hokey, but also terrifying. Oh, my God. It's so good. Like, I mean, I can't imagine delivering that line uh, and, and being able to pull off what, what James Gardner pulled off when he did it. Like, I, I would have been like, oh, oh shit, no, don't, don't climb my tree. <laughs> please, know, like please don't climb my tree. And he does get physical with him. He grabs him by the tie. Yeah, he grabs him by the tie and he explains that he's had, he's having a really bad day. He's lost his girl. Uh, and he's just looking for an excuse to take it out on someone. Yeah, or, take it out on someone. Does this guy want to be that excuse? And the guy's like, okay, fine. He, uh, um, he tries to bribe him before that, right? right. So yeah, and, and uh, one of the things that's like great about the character of Rockford here is that he does go through everything. He even says that he sympathizes with the guy. He goes, "I actually think you're in the right. People <laughs> deserve their privacy. And right now, I just can't deal with that. Like that's not a thing that I can. Um, it, it, that's in the way of of me finding. Like it, it's more right. important that I find this woman alive. You know." <laughs> I wrote down in my notes, an apologetic gorilla. This isn't what he usually does. He doesn't yeah. usually shake people down. He doesn't usually get violent with people who have not demonstrated or implicated that they're about to get violent with him. And there's this amazing body language going on while he's got this guy mm -hmm. by the tie. Because the guy is trying to calm him down and giving him information. And while he's doing that, the guy is bringing his arm up. He's bringing his hand up to tap it on the, the hand that Rockford has him by the tie. And... Rockford just moves subtly and the guy moves his hands away from Rockford again. Like, so there's this moment where he's like, okay, you can put your hand down and Rockford, I'm not done. Yeah. You're, I'm going to hold on to you. Like, there's nothing said there, but it's just this great moment of physical acting where he's not choking. He's just, he has him under control, right? He has him on a literal leash. You know, he's got the tie there. And it's, it, it really puts in your mind that Rockford could fly off the handle. Like yeah. he could get really violent with this guy. 
he's not a small dude. He often goes up against like larger thugs mm-hmm. uh, when he does, but like every so often you're like, wow, that's right. Yeah. This man would be physically imposing. So yeah, he basically shakes him down and the guy finally gives up uh, the, a room number, room 304. Rockford asks what name is on the room and the guy's like, uh, it's Diane Lewis. So right. I think he and we are like, okay, so that's an, an alias, right? Yeah. He goes up to the to the room. It seems like a pretty nice place. Uh, it seems more like an apartment building than a than a hotel to me. But yeah, who knows? Um, he goes to the room, uh, knocks on the door. This uh, woman answers the door. It is not Karen. No. And he seems surprised, right? Because he and I think we were invested in this idea that for some reason Karen pieced out life or yeah tried to tried to lose him right and whatever so when he finds this um a different woman that he has successfully followed Mm -hmm. he's a little confused but then he he asks if he can come in i was watching this with with my partner uh and she was like no don't let a strange man in your in your door like from her perspective right like this guy knocks on the door and he's like can i come in she's like uh sure yeah, so there's this interesting thing about that this whole scene because he is—he's a strange man who's just come to her door in the middle of the night, um, or maybe even in the morning. I think like, it's the uh, next day at this point. The next day, because he also yeah. mentions that he hasn't slept in like 24 hours. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yes. Well, he looks like he hasn't slept in 24 hours, mm-hmm. and uh, he looks disappointed to see you there. Asks you by a name that you're, you know, asks for, you know, who you aren't, you know, like, mm-hmm. and then asks to come in. And there's this thing where she lets him in, and I had the same reaction. I was like, I mean, I know Rockford. I would <laughs> let him in. Like, what, right. what, you know, like, there's, he's Rockford. It, mm-hmm. um, the worst that's going to happen is that somebody's going to come in after him. Like, that's the. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But it's like uh, a TV, it's kind of like a TV thing, right? Like, there's no view hole in the door, so she has to open it. Yeah. And then when he asks if he can come in, she lets him in because otherwise, like, the plot is not going to continue. <laughs> But, but there's the thing that happens there that I think they, they, they kind of do is there's like a flirt thing. Yeah, they get a weirdly flirtatious. And I think that that's, I mean, part of it is just that maybe what's happening here is that she thinks that, that she's attracted to Rockford mm-hmm. and who wouldn't be. But yeah, it's just weirdly flirtatious at that point, well, I think. And that's. I think it's also implying what we kind of get implied through the rest of the scene, which is that. If she's not uh, a professional, she may be in multiple relationships, right? So yeah, yeah. using flirtatiousness as a way to diffuse the situation may just be part of her arsenal, right? Like what yes. is, is the safer path for her? Because that's part of what she does, maybe. But I'm, I'm reading that in a little bit. Um, yeah, no, but there's definitely there's definitely something there. She kind okay. of at the end of the scene, uh, she like in, kind of invites him back, which is a weird thing. Yeah. That, that, lays that out anyway so in the course of this scene they they talk and basically he's like why did you like you took a bus in two cabs like why do you take two cabs do you think someone was following you and all this stuff and then she finally oh he also checks out her coats because there's a specific coat that karen was wearing and that's what he's looking for right Uh, because now he's thinking maybe there's some kind of switcheroo or something she put on her coat um, All of these are more warning flags about how you shouldn't have this man in your apartment. Right. This is, yeah. <laughs> uh, so she, he doesn't find it. Uh, so her name is Diane. That's the name that, that yeah. um, you know, we know her by in this in this show. So Diane tells her that uh, she was having she's having an affair with a man who lives in that area, and the wife was coming back unexpectedly. So she basically ran away. 
yeah. to get out of the situation and went to the bus stop uh, just in case some you know someone was watching and she didn't want to be followed so she's just nervous and it has nothing to do with this woman karen that he's looking for he doesn't know who she is doesn't know anything about it i think he might apologize i forget exactly whether he does or not yeah and that's when she's kind of weirdly like well maybe you should come by sometime when you're not looking for another woman right <laughs> yes and then there's a sound at the door another man is there and she's like okay now this is from weird to bad you need to get out of here and he's like just tell him i'm a cop this doesn't go over well. <laughs> this, is, so, this is one of those great moments where in uh, where one of Rockford's plans to to swindle someone or just to lead them astray uh, just lands on the wrong person. Like right. this guy's not going to believe he's a cop. Mm-hmm. It's just there's no way it just isn't going to work. It's kind of like he's taken. He's he's kind of flipping a coin, right? Like yeah. either it's a magic word and they're like, oh, you're a cop. I don't want to be involved, right? Yeah, or they'll know how cops work and he won't be able to make it work, which is what happens here. Cause the guy's like, Oh yeah, you're a cop. Show me your badge. <laughs> and he's like, just let me go. He's like, look, just- yeah. He's like, fine. I'm here to read the meter. Yes. <laughs> and I just, I just passed him and gets out of the, gets out of the way. So the scene, like there's a lot of dialogue in this scene. Um, it kind of, uh, establishes he may have been going down uh, a dead end. It introduces these two characters, Diane and this man that uh, is nameless thus far, who it's kind of implied that like he's her boyfriend or, you know, yeah, something like that. Like they they do already know each other. He's a little mad that there's another man in her room, but then Rockford pieces out and uh, we catch back up to the present. That's the end of the the end of the the, the tale that Rockford yeah, has been telling time. Rocky. Yeah. And, and as here we have all but one piece of the puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like this is, this is, he hasn't put it all together yet, but it's all there. And that's, this is a great moment to come back to Rocky. I think that yeah. this is that. So we come back to Rocky and we, we like, like Rockford are a little stymied. That seems like it was some kind of dead end. There's probably something still there. Like we know how this show works. There's nothing here that doesn't matter. Right. But we don't know what it is. Though so I think as Rocky points out in a second, there is that detail about the uh, daughter being like, "Mom, mommy didn't come home with us." Yeah, that is still floating out there and probably has something to do with what's going on. In short order, uh, Rocky kind of takes what he has to say, kind of helps him process it a little bit, kind of commiserates with him, and also this is where we learn that the flashback cuts that he was having earlier are not about this case. He's remembered. Right. Rockford mentions, he's like, remember when I had this case, which I think is another ep- an earlier episode in the season yeah. where this woman was just like found dead on the beach. Like, that's all I can think about is the image of this dead woman on the beach. As the show brings you back to Rocky and Rockford on the beach, it brought me back to the, the opening scene with him having the, these issues. And I was like, that wasn't a flash forward. Like, what's going... Like, And this is where the show then explains those to us. And says, right. this is him trying to shake an earlier case mm-hmm. that he couldn't solve in time. He couldn't save someone's life. Yeah, like, if I could have gotten there, if I could have figured it out faster, that woman wouldn't have died on that beach, right? Yes. Uh, and so he's thinking, I don't know where Karen is. If I don't get to her in time, she's going to end up like that. And that's and what's this, been been eating at him this entire, yeah. the rest of this day. Because time-wise, we're like a couple hours past the end of the narrative that we've seen so far. We're Now we're in for some, some amazing Rocky. Oh, quote. my God. <laughs> I'll tell you this, because I, I wrote this down because it was so perfect. 
I don't know if you want my help or not, but you're going to get it. <laughs> I wrote it down, too. It's great. It's so rocky. It's just like pretty sure that his son is underestimating him, but he's going to tell him how it is. It's just mm-hmm. like no messing around, Rock, Rock, uh, Jim. Yeah, and it's great. And so Rocky brings up mm-hmm. that this, this girl mentioned that uh, – her, her mother wasn't with Yeah. Him. He's like, you, you said it yourself. Think about what you've said. And again, Jim's like, she was asleep in the back. She's just a kid. It's like, think about what she said. Uh, when was the last time you saw Karen before she went to sleep? And then he kind of goes through how they stopped at this place, the Buena Vista Inn, to get coffee. Uh, he went in to pay for it or something. When he came back, she was asleep in the back of the car. And then he goes, oh. Yeah. And... Here's where if you have this on Netflix, you get to go back and you can be like, wait, mm-hmm. wait a minute. And uh, maybe maybe if you're uh, attuned to this kind of stuff, when you first saw it, you might have thought, wait, why are they filming it this way? Why are we only seeing her in silhouette or from the back? Mm-hmm. You know, when she gets out of that car and goes into the house, we don't see her face. Nope. We it's see not. like the tan jacket. Yeah. And we see her from the back. Uh, we barely even see her hair. We see like the very top of her head over the jacket collar, I think. Yeah, because the jacket's got like a big furry collar. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So Rockford kind of puts two and two together here, talks us through it as the audience for those of us who may have only been paying a little bit of attention. May, if there was some kind of switcheroo, then that's where it had to have happened at yeah. the Buena Vista Inn, which means that this woman, Diane, was lying to him and there's something else going on and that Karen disappeared there and not at the house. And we get another great bit of dialogue here, which is the uh, where J- Jim says, now I know why I come to you when I'm in trouble. And they kind of talk over each other. And Rocky's like, because I'm your pa and I'm smarter than you. <laughs> says, no. uh, once or twice a year, you're right. Like, that yeah. was, it was, oh, so good. It's good. So, good. Um, so now we've caught up with uh, the, the, the linear time progression of the rest of the yeah. episode. And at first, maybe I missed an establishing shot or something. I was like... Wait, where where did he go after that? But uh, it turns out he he went back to Diane's and he 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 goes into her room and the, the door's open and he just walks in, uh, kind of starts looking around and then sees her body on the ground next to the bed. This is a situation that Jim finds himself in often enough. He'll knock on a door, nobody'll answer. He'll push it open mm-hmm. and then up oh, there's the body. So he takes it in stride because this is something that he he's. Like, if nobody's going to answer, then there's a dead body in there. Right. I mean, that's how it is. That's just how it is. So he starts searching the room. He finds a matchbook from the Buena Vista Inn in one of the pockets of one of her coats. Yes. So he's established some kind of connection between Diane and this location. Once he's found that evidence, then he puts a uh, handkerchief over his hand to call the police because he knows that if he leaves any fingerprints in a in a room with a dead body, they're going to blame yeah. him for it. But he calls Dennis. Um, yes. Good old Dennis Becker. Good old Dennis Becker to, to say that uh, a woman's dead in this room. Well, there's two things here. He talks to Dennis. Dennis is all mad. Dennis is always mad. Yeah. But Dennis is all mad. And he's like... We know about her. We we caught up with her, you know, an hour after you did. You're yeah, burning yeah. all of our contacts. <laughs> it's like you're he's burning like, us on this one, Jim. He's, he's like, you know, don't get involved in open cases, huh? Like yeah. this is. <laughs> it's like you're burning our entire thing, which, you know, if I was a cop, I'd be mad about it too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but then he's like, and therefore, uh, Lieutenant Deal put out a warrant for your arrest. Yes. And I signed it. <laughs> yes. There's this, there's this wonderful, delicious glee. Um, 
with Dennis here that, that again, like, these guys are old friends that have this kind of back and forth thing. But I definitely think Dennis would love to put Rockford, not not away for good, but like, just like, put him in a jail for the night. It's a little bit of like a one-upsmanship kind of thing. Like, yeah. someday I'm going to get you. This happens, again, relatively frequently, that a, there's a warrant out for, for Jim Rockford's arrest in connection with a murder of some kind. Well, in, in particular, in this particular spot where I think Dennis figures it out by what Rockford says, that he is disturbed the evidence at the scene. And, right. And, and he just, oh, he's so happy. He's so <laughs> happy that Rockford did that. He's just like, like we're going to get you. There we go. Now we're talking. After he calls Dennis, uh, we get a lot packed into the rest of the scene where the the, the boyfriend uh, that we saw earlier comes back yeah. and comes into the th- into the into the room and starts searching it just like Rockford had just searched it and and Rockford kind of hides behind a door and lets him do it before uh, finally kind of jumping out and surprising him and and confronting him. So this confrontation is great because it's he hides like in a closet when he comes in. And it's a closet near the front door, so Rockford has plenty of opportunity to just slip out the front door and never be there. But you see that he's curious about what this guy's doing. Because this guy comes in, sees the body, and doesn't react to it. It's not, right. a, you know, it's not a thing to him. And he immediately goes into the other room and starts looking through all the same stuff that Rockford was looking through. So Rockford just follows him into that room and then just talks to him. This is one of my favorite things about Rockford is that he'll just, at some point, just be like, all right, let's talk. And then he has to sucker punch him. Well, the guy starts, he, we find out his name's uh, Mike something, and Mike talks to him a little bit and then kind of clams up. We kind of see the return of angry Rockford because yes. he's like, you are the only connection that I have between this woman who's dead and Karen, who I'm looking for. You have to tell me what the connection is. And he's like, you don't want to know. Just drop it. And he's like, I can't drop it. Yeah, sucker punches Mike and gets really intense with him mm-hmm. and threatens him, basically. Kind of starts choking him a little bit, I forget. Maybe he grabs his collar or something. And he threatens yeah. him with, he's like, look, the cops are on their way. Uh, you can explain to me or you can explain to them. And right. that kind of puts the fear into this guy. One of the tropes of the Rockford Files is that, quote unquote, the cops are this kind of unstoppable force right like right. there's never really there except for one or two episodes where it's about like kind of uh, some crooked cops kind of stuff right uh, generally people who are criminals are scared of the cops and will do whatever they can to not get arrested and that's just how it is and and there's a the thing with rockford himself who he's he's willing to get arrested mm-hmm. like he, he he will put himself in these situations and say all right let's get arrested together He's been there. He's, you know, he's done time. He, he, uh, knows where he sits legally. Right. Uh, even if it's in a shady zone. Um, and I think that's a lot of it where generally, right? Like the, the calculus is whatever you're getting arrested for is worse than whatever I would be getting arrested for. Right. And I right. know I'll get out soon or it won't actually go to, to a trial, but you'll go away for a long time because you're into whatever criminal underworld you're in. So let's do this together. Right. Almost every time they're like, no, let's figure a different way out. So Mike, uh, under, under this duress, finally reveals that uh, he, he works at the, at the Buena Vista Inn as well. And so, so did Diane. And that there are some syndicate types that run the hotel. And that Karen was walking around uh, when they made their pit stop. She saw something she wasn't supposed to see. And that's all he knows. And then they yeah. 
switched. Um, they they did some kind of switcheroo. Yeah, I think this is um and that's this, it. the narrative of what happened there. Uh, I think we kind of missed a little bit um before. I think he explained it to Ro- uh, Rocky where he said that she got up to go to the bathroom and then the host or waiter or whatever came over to him and said that she was going to wait for him in the car. Oh, and right. She said, yeah. So, so there's this moment where she gets up, she goes out of his line of sight. He has no reason to suspect anything bad's happening. They're just having a cup of coffee late at night. And then somebody from the, uh, the, the restaurant tells Rockford, Oh, you're, the, the woman that was with you told me to tell you that she was feeling tired and she's just going to go lay down in the back of the car and you can just, when you're done paying the bill, you can just head out. She's not going to come back. And, right. Uh, so this is how this switch is made. We don't know Karen's fate yet, but we do know that uh, Diane was swapped for her at this point. Right. And now there's the positive idea of, of some mafia involvement, the syndicate yes. involvement. Uh, they, they then peace out of there. Uh, they, Rockford gets out of there and kind of leaves leaves Mike to whatever fate he uh, yeah. he can figure out from there, and we go to a transition scene where Jim is driving his car over to the Buena, Buena Vista Inn yeah. and has the radio on. He's he's following Mike at this point, right? Is he following is he, Mike? I think he because he gets there just bef- just after Mike does, so I right. can't remember if he's actually following him or not. I feel like in this in this sequence, we again kind of speed up a little bit and kind of cut yeah. out some of the establishing stuff because it's more about like getting to the resolution. The radio is interesting because this is not a thing that happens often on the Rockford right. Files. Right, but this uh, it's it's a news report that's cutting in after some national news and talking about these these murders in the the neighborhood that. Karen lived in mm-hmm. and then as like a news item uh you know police are still investigating and then next news item it references this this gangster Vincent Minette who was last who's suspected to have fled to Mexico and is still in you know some kind of investigation trying to turn him up so this yes. is the second time we've heard this name Vincent yeah. Minette in the episode the first time was the cops earlier in that like side conversation that we that we mentioned I, like i feel like this is a little out of place with the rockford oftentimes mm. they won't i shouldn't say oftentimes they won't basically they don't they tend not to do this thing that happens on other television shows where media just happens to give us a clue right right like this is a rare rare case of this i think this is a little on the nose right like it's a little yeah. out of place because it's a little like hey everyone remember about this guy yeah you know which but it's also it's also like we've got we got 10 minutes left <laughs> let's get it going right we we get to the get to the inn we see mike go um have some some banter with with what i think we can only call a gorilla uh hanging yeah. out outside one of the rooms <laughs> and he like lets him in and then uh Rockford pretends to be drunk. Um, this is kind of the only real con, like little con that yep. he pulls in this episode. Uh, he pretends to be like a drunk uh, uh, person staying at the inn who's wandered into the wrong area. Uh, at first, it's like, oh, is he going to do some kind of weird talk his way into the room thing? But I think in the end, basically all it's doing is is letting Rockford positively identify that this is an area that that like the bad guys are. Like this yeah. is where they're in this. They bought room. the whole wing. Yeah. They, they 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 rented out the whole wing. That's yeah. The... So this gorilla is like, go back to the lobby and they'll help you out, sir. And he's like, okay. And he kind of wanders around the corner and then sneaks through the bushes to try and and get a look through the windows. He doesn't really see anything through the windows. And this is when he goes to the bank of payphones and uh, we get to see the from from the intro 
sequence uh see him make his multiple emergency phone calls this is this is great because it's he's got no time to make the a serial phone call he has no time to to make one call hang up and make the other Mm -hmm. he's got to make them in parallel so he picks both phones up and he puts a dime in each and like asks one operator for the uh emergency services and then puts that one on the side as he asks the other one for the cops it's just this great like like He's he's not he's not messing around. He's going to get them all here exactly at the same time. If right? Can, yeah, know. it's a great piece of physical work where he's like moving the phones back and forth so that he's on one and then on the other. The emergency vehicles uh, start coming coming in with uh, sirens blazing. Oh, he's made up all of this. Right? By the he's way. made okay. up all this. He's like, there's a there's a car crash Accident. and a fire or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, then and he's like, there's know, a holdup. Holdup. Yeah. For yeah. the cops. So these fire trucks come up with sirens blazing. These cop cars come in, sirens blazing. And these men run out of the room that we've kind of seen established as like where the bad guys were. Yeah. Uh, pile into a white a white car and take off. And that's when Becker and the lieutenant and Lieutenant Deal pull up in the parking lot next to Rockford. And he jumps in their car and he's like, Vincent Minette is in that car. <laughs> yes. We get a car chase without Rockford at the wheel, yeah. which is a little frustrating. I know. But fine. That's fine. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Yeah. Um, so we have this car chase with, uh, I think, is Becker driving, I think? Yes, I think so, yeah. And uh, calling in calling in the pursuit, um, and we get a, a cool little scene of the highway patrol setting up a little barrier with flares. Yeah. Um, and basically during this drive, we get the exposition kind of revealing the last piece of this, which is that Vincent Minette, this gangster that the police are after, uh, it was a false trail that he went to Mexico. He's been holed up in this hotel and, uh, Karen must've seen him or something like that. And that's why they pulled the switcheroo because they're trying to keep it all quiet. There, there was a thing, I think it was established in the radio in the previous scene, that awkward radio moment mm-hmm. where, uh, I think they specifically said on the radio that anyone would recognize Vincent Minette. Every, everyone's looking for him, so they I can't remember what they said, but they made yeah. sure we as the audience knew that Karen would have, if she saw him, recognized him. Right, yeah, there's some bit of business earlier in the episode about how uh, it's essentially like a, America's most wanted kind of situation. Yeah. World famous. Uh, so yeah, we, we get to see the last scene from our intro, uh, sequence where the car spins out to avoid crashing into the highway patrol. They, uh, you know, pull everyone out and make, make the arrests. In classic style without gunning everyone down. This is, this is one of the things that sets Rockford apart from some of the, the lesser cop television of today, Mm -hmm. where in the Rockford files, if a gun comes out and somebody's shot, that's an important thing. It's not, the release of, you know, the end of the episode. It's right. not the, the release of emotion at the end of the episode. Because we're going to get to some actual emotion. Mm. Like, so these are arrests that are made. Right. These are, yeah. For me, it all helps maintain this idea that they're in a a real world that has consequences. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it's like the consequences of just filling a car with bullet holes because you suspect that there's mobsters in there. Right. Are, there's real world consequences that lead to cops not doing that yeah. necessarily. I mean, talk about other situations with cops. Uh, but and then like the consequences of like just getting out of the car quietly and being arrested and entering the legal system for like a mob boss. They'd right. much prefer that than being shot by cops on the highway, right? Yeah. Like this idea that there's uh, there's more to a situation than just like the audience vicarious 
participation in violence, which I also appreciate about this show. So this is the the action uh, highlight of the episode, and then we cut from there to back on the beach. We have now Rockford has returned after all of these adventures um, to to talk to Rocky again. We still have no resolution thus far on Karen. Right. Um, there was also a little exposition about how Mike was probably a hitman, and yeah. he killed Diane. Diane and maybe the guy, the neighbor. Right. So that's a little unclear about... Like, why would he... Yeah. This episode, the a little bit of the mystery falls apart if you if you start picking at the scabs yeah. a little bit. So Diane's killed the same way that the guy in the bushes is killed. Right. Right. With a, with like blow a blunt object. Back of the head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this, yeah, maybe that's this guy's signature. But if he was there... Why is he not part of all of the the bus driver and the two cab drivers right. and the, like everyone who's telling Rockford this story? So the the question is, why was the neighbor killed? I like, think <laughs> there was an there's there was maybe a sentence or something about the neighbor was walking by and saw Diane yeah, was, and would have known that it wasn't Karen because they're neighbors. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the the motive, but it's a little buried and, and unclear. Yeah, um, there's there's a couple moments in this episode that kind of fall along those lines where if they're not nagging, they don't well, like trouble you, but yeah. they're you're a little bit like, oh, okay. Uh, and I have a I have a theory about that, which maybe we'll loop back to that once we're done with with this. So we we kind of hear the rest of the explanation for what happened, and then Rocky tries to to make. To make Jim feel better, he's like, hey, remember my buddy? I forget his name. I think he's referenced a lot. I don't know if he actually appears in the show, but he, mm-hmm. like Rocky has this friend. Yeah. He's like, hey, he's uh, he offered the his, his like mountain place. Uh, yeah. He's not going to be there. We could go. We, let's go and go fishing. You know, let's like take the week, go, go f- do some fishing, just hang out the two of us. And uh, Rockford's kind of like, you know, I just got to sort things out. Maybe I'll come join you in a few days. You go uh, find the good fishing holes up there yeah, and I'll, I'll come join you. And Rocky pushes a little bit and then kind of backs off and is like, okay, I, yeah. I get that you need a little time. Because in kind of the last, pretty much the last sentence of the episode, Rocky's leaving. He's walking away mm-hmm. and he's like, you shouldn't blame yourself for, for Karen's death. Yeah. And then he leaves and... I have in my notes Rockford tears. Yeah, like, yeah. He, he's this is uh, this is an unusual moment. Uh, we get to see him on the edge of crying. It's 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 actually kind of a kind of a good moment for James Gardner. You know, yeah. like the, the like good good acting moment, but also like uh, yeah, it's all on his face in, yeah. in this episode. Like he like he in the episode, but in this scene in particular, where I just got to work some stuff out, and he kind of gives his dad a look, and his dad knows to kind of back off and just let him. Because it's not, it's not over the top. It's just he's been using the case to to keep himself from feeling the emotion is right. what it is, you know. And so here's the moment where he gets to feel the emotion, and this is about to suck. This right. is this is what is going to be. At some point between the end of the car chase and now, they found Karen, or some, yeah. you know, they 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 know for sure that she that she's dead, and it's really sad. The last little sequence of the episode is. Him replaying what they did together in San Francisco in his head. Right. And we get a couple of shots of them on a boat and like driving around and stuff like that. And then, yeah, we end on his, his face. And it's almost like a, a, a family because there's the daughter too, which right. uh, is obviously gone to the ex-husband. But it's a little look at the life that could have been for mm-hmm. Rockford. And uh, like in a previous, you know, previously we talked about that moment in um, 
tall woman with a red wagon mm-hmm. where he says he's he's eligible for everything but marriage. <laughs> this is a moment where this will come up uh, occasionally with with um with the women in his life, but this is this is a moment where he kind of looks like he's he's in uh, a married state uh, is happy, and that's clearly not going to happen. That's that's yeah. Uh, it's kind of ripped away from him, right? Non possibility. Yeah. So it ends, you know, on a real down note. It's real sad. Yeah. Also, I think part of it is because as audience, we don't learn about the fate of Karen until the very end, right? Yes. So there's a little bit of hope through the whole thing. Like maybe she's going to come out of this weird house that they're at, you know? Yeah. But no, they they. No. And I assuming I'm assuming this is probably from the. The novel it was adapted from, right? right. But the uh, the conclusion carries out the emotional investment, the emotional weight of the earlier part of the episode. Yeah, and I think the novel part is kind of interesting because it it is the novel was written at least twenty years before this episode aired, so it wasn't you know wasn't written for Rockford. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written for something else and adapted to Rockford. And I have not read it, so I can't really talk about how well it was adapted to it, but it definitely felt like an older noir uh, played out. And, and there are many uh, nods to the noir in the Rockford Files uh, that that work out really well. But this one felt even more of yeah. the past. I than... think there's a way that... I mean, the Rockford Files is not a fundamentally noir show, right? Like, it doesn't have the same kind of pessimism or the same kind of uh, sense of decay that a lot of the classic noir yeah. has as kind of central central to its identity. But this particular episode definitely has the uh, that sensibility to it, and that idea of innocence ripped away at the end is is pretty strong. I will say that I think some of the weird inconsistencies or some of the weird like plot connections um in this episode i would suspect are artifacts of being adapted from a longer text especially towards the end with kind of trying to explain like the motives behind the the extra murders and stuff like that it is a little like i'm not sure how well that really connects without more connection that just isn't in the episode because it's an hour tv show and not a novel right exactly in that way, I think it, it maybe isn't quite as well framed altogether as a whole piece as some other episodes. But I think the emotional impact of this episode is very strong. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of emotional impact, I'm going to talk about his books. This is this is a horrible, horrible episode for him mm-hmm. economically. From the get-go, our uh, answering machine message. Uh, at the beginning of this one, is a previous client yelling at him, telling him that he won't pay to have Rockford's car repainted, and he will deny that expense bill, Mm -hmm. uh, which is great. Uh, So right off the bat, that's money that Rockford (laughs) won't be getting back. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nobody hires him for anything during this episode. Yeah, he's working for himself the whole time. he's, He's working for himself, and the only amount of money we hear is that he offers the hotel clerk $20, right? As a bribe. But we do know that he bribed the bus driver and probably bribed the two cab drivers mm-hmm. before him. So he's probably out 60 bucks. <laughs> We're going to guess somewhere in there. And again, like as we established earlier, a dollar in this point in time is roughly equivalent to five and change in our time. So we're talking three to four hundred dollars, mm-hmm. not including how much it costs to repaint his car from whatever previous thing. So, um, so th- yeah, he's out. He's out money too that he can cry about. Yeah, and uh, 
with my my food watch not a good episode for that either uh he's too <laughs> he's too busy to eat right he's too yeah. consumed with trying to find out what happened to karen to have any side conversations or talks over lunch or anything uh the only thing is earlier in the episode when rocky offers him coffee and he's like no i don't want coffee which yeah. i think is, speaks to kind of his emotional state at that time but also coffee's coffee's what got him in trouble yeah that's true yeah because i stopped for coffee uh, in the first place so the strong focus of this episode kind of steered it out of a lot of the general rockford tropes that we that we appreciate about the longer run of the series but again that's not necessarily to this episode's detriment but it does set it apart in a way and a look into uh rockford's financial past occurred early on he was talking to they're having the banter the very beginning when he's talking to karen Mm -hmm. about sailing and he learned how to sail in the army Mm -hmm. when they snuck contraband radios out to the navy guys and yeah. he sold the sold them the two band radios for 17.99 and then the earplugs for 20 bucks because they they're contraband radio so they couldn't listen to them unless they had earplugs in so they would sell them uh and again this is like these are these are like i mean that's like for, 50s dollars right because he's in the korea yeah right yeah. like how much money was he making there <laughs> that was crazy yeah so um so that's exciting. So we know that at some point he had some scheme that was paying out for him during the war. Yeah, he was definitely <laughs> running running cons during his army days. Yeah. So that's sleight of hand. We're going to take a break and then we will be back with some some interesting narrative elements that we found in this episode to apply to your writing and games endeavors. While we have you here, if you like the podcast, there's three ways to support us. First, rate and review on iTunes or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. Second, you can support us directly for as little as a dollar an episode at patreon.com slash 200 a day. This enables us to do things like upgrade our audio, and if we get enough support, release shows more often, so it'll be more Rockford for you. And third, both of us have other projects. Epi, what do you have going on right now? Uh, you can check out my Sword and Sorcery Fiction and the Sword and Sorcery Fiction of other people, uh, along with games and comics at worldswithoutmaster.com. So, Nathan, what do you have going on? Well, I'm always working on designing and publishing new games. You can find my current offerings, including the Worldwide Wrestling Role-Playing Game, at ndpdesign.com. Or check out my Patreon for process and new experiments at patreon.com slash ndpaoletta. Thanks for listening. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to 200 a Day. We've just done our synopsis, and now we're going to lay a little truth on you. Tell you, tell you a little bit about how to take the genius that is the Rockford Files and turn it into genius either uh, through your preferred writing implement or at your gaming table. Mm -hmm. So we were saying earlier about how this episode, we can see a lot of the bits and pieces that are due to it being an adaptation of a longer work. Yes. Right. And I think one of those is how the point of view sticks with Rockford through the entire, pretty much, even though there's some flashbacks, we kind of see everything through his eyes and ears through right. the entire episode, except for a couple of things that are, you know, because it's television, they can show us things that in a book would probably be described to us as his thinking process or something like that, or his internal exactly. monologue. To, to the point where uh, certain background details that would have, in a, any other sort of Rockford episode, would have been just something we'd witness as the audience. We have to have Rockford present so we throw him in the background as cops are talking or on the radio as he's driving his car, that kind of... Right. So, as a technique of 
conveying information, right? Like that is something that I know I've made kind of like a meta thing in running games of like, oh, you hear this thing. So obviously this is the important thing for you guys to know right now, right? But kind of conveying it through the fictional layer of on the radio, you hear this announcement and you all remember when you heard that name being said in the background at the police station earlier. It's kind of like the tabletop equivalent of the, uh, the, the question mark over their head character in a video game where it's like right. you need to talk to this person we don't need to blast a bunch of extraneous information and wait for people to pick up on what's important like to sift through it and right. find the yeah. if there's a goal to get to in the game or in the narrative you can just say here's an important thing that you hear and let that be what spurs them on to action rather than waiting for someone to figure out what's the important thing of the 10 things that I've heard in the last hour. I'm a big fan of physical cues at the table telling you that sort of thing. So uh, in Swords, they have the um, there's the thunder, which is something ominous that's supposed to possibly be- become important in the story. Mm-hmm. And the whole point to that is that you pick up the dice when you, as the, as the overplayers, you're telling people what's happening, you're giving them the background. You pick up the dice when something you say has the possibility of going wrong for them in the future. And it could be anything. It could be like a little uh, noise in the background. Or, or in this particular episode, the uh, when he comes into the police station and the cops are talking about this mob boss, you pick up the dice and just be a visual cue to everyone at the table, just, just laying your cards down on the table. Like it, It's fun as a television audience to go back and try and pick up on what those clues are sometimes. But like when you're sitting at the table, it's better that people get the clue. Right. uh, Then, than it is that they don't know it. And then they're like, why are we here? Mm -hmm. What is this about? Why did you just introduce this? That this has nothing, no bearing on what has happened before. Especially in something in this case, where the, the identity of this fugitive, Vincent Minette, doesn't really matter to the episode, right? We don't even see him, do we? Uh, we see him in the car. Like, they identify which of the people in the car is mm. Minette, I think. But, yeah, we yeah. just barely. Yeah, so it's not really important in the sense that we need to know what this guy's name is or what his background is or what crime he committed. Uh, he's a plot device, right? Like, yeah. the reason that he's important is because he's why Karen died. Right. So... Keeping the flow of information, right, of, like, here's all the context for, for why Karen died is something you can do through doing the physical cues and, and, you know, showing, like, here's an important thing. It could be simple exposition at the end, or it could be, you know, a series of clues that you've already written down and that players are discovering as they play. But the thematic question, uh, like, is basically, what is Rockford going to do in order to find out what happened to Karen? is kind of what I got out of this episode, at least. Like, it's not about, because of the procedural nature, we know that there's going to be some kind of resolution, and we'll find out either way. But as you're watching, the question is kind of like, what is he, we see him get angry, we see him use tactics that we haven't seen him use in in other episodes. Yeah. So it's like, what is this guy willing to do when something so close to home happens to him? I was was just thinking about um, the role of Rocky, in this one mm-hmm. and and thinking about specifically bringing that to the table and playing that in the game there's something wonderful going on there uh and then something in a game that's horrible it's wonderful in the show we loved it 
in the show, but in the game, it, it would, I think it would be a little horrible. So the, the wonderful part is just, uh, well, there's two wonderful parts. Number one, Rocky cares about Jim and he puts, he wants to help Jim and he wants to help him the best way, the best way that he can think of. And, and the wonderful thing that he does here is that he has Jim tell him the story all over again. And I think when you run an investigative game and you have a situation where, uh, either it's late in the session or it's been, a week or two since you last played, having an NPC that you can just have the players barf the story back to can be helpful. It, you know, it allows them to process the things that they're saying and uh, things that they've witnessed mm-hmm. in ways that, that could possibly allow them to piece together what's what's happened in, in a fashion that they wouldn't if they just kind of stewed around with it or had arguments with amongst the other players about what. And that's also an opportunity to use that, uh, in this case, if like Rocky's the NPC, right? To use that NPC yeah. to push back on details that maybe the players have forgotten that's still within the fictional frame. But don't you remember this thing that you told me about? Right. right? And then the players can either be like, can't actually remember, or maybe if the players have forgotten, you can kind of sleight of hand like, oh, remember this thing happened in two episodes or two sessions ago. That's that's, important. You know, keep that in mind. And everyone can be like, oh, right. And go forward from there. And that's that's where we fly dangerously close to the horrible thing that Rocky... (laughs) If, if Rocky were an NPC and uh-huh. then just gave the answer, right? Like sure. that's the, that that's, I think that's the, uh, the razor's edge, right? Like you can, oh, you can get so close to that and have so much fun. And then you step over it and everyone's like, oh, thanks Rocky. I mean, I think, I think if you've played a lot of investigatory or clue finding kind of games, you've probably run into this situation where the players don't see the clear path forward and right. the person running the game, the GM or whoever is sitting there going like, Either do anything and it'll work out, right? Because you're playing mm-hmm. the kind of game where, you know, no matter what happens, it'll move forward. Or it's like, here are the one, two, or three options that should be clear from the evidence that for right. whatever reason, the players just aren't connecting. And so having that table state where people are all kind of looking at each other and being like, we don't know what to do next. You could use something like a, a Rocky in this case to, to interject a reminder about here's the thing that should lead you to the next thing. I think, uh, in the case of a game, it's particularly good to have, uh, that on the up and up that the players oh, yeah. come, t- come to the character and say, okay, we're at a loss. Mm-hmm. What do you suggest? Yeah. You know, or if, if not their characters doing it, the players somehow indicating it, mm-hmm. uh, either through the spending of some resource that's right. meant for that, uh, which there's several games that do right. things along those lines or, or even just hold up their hand and right. say, please. Well, there's, <laughs> In this case, I think it's also, it's kind of showing the benefit of having characters that are enmeshed in a world with relationships, right? Maybe this particular case, there's no reason to like go talk to your character's dad or something. But maybe if you've established that you have some kind of positive relationship with them and you're at a loss. And so in the game, you're like, I'm going to go talk to my dad. That's a venue to push the story along that maybe you wouldn't have if you were playing a, a, a game where the characters are all more just focused on each other and don't have external relationships into the people around them. So, so there's a thing in um, writing where you don't want dialogue to do just one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we we kind of talk about this a little bit in this episode because there are these moments where background dialogue simply just gives us another clue and then and, and it stands out because yeah. generally speaking in Rockford episodes... Uh, the dialogue will push the plot along. It will 
reveal stuff about the characters that are, you know that are happening. It will change the emotional state of the characters. It does all these different things. Right. So like I said, it's a little one note or on the nose when there's like the radio broadcast of like, here's an important clue that will connect to this later. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's like kind of an important thing to keep in mind when you're writing, when or I should say even more specifically when you're editing your writing, you know, when you're going over it and going, wow, this dialogue that they're having here. Is it, is it necessary? Like, what is it doing here other than just telling us to get to, from point A to point B? But um, I think that it's also interesting to take that to the game table and think of Car- Rocky as this NPC, right? And think of it as the player who's playing Jim Rockford has Rocky listed on the character sheet and says, all right, I'm at a loss. I'm going to go talk to Rocky. It would be delightful if... One, Rocky can then push you further into the story like he does here. He gives you the clue, moves you along. But then two, does something else mm-hmm. uh, like he does here in this story where he shows you your relationship and also shows you how important this case is to you because Rocky doesn't talk to you about all the cases this way. Like mm-hmm. it, the, this sets sort of a... a it, it 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 lets us know what's at stake for for Jim here. This is this is kind of an important situation here, mm-hmm. and I don't know how helpful it is to keep that in mind while you're actually playing, because oftentimes telling you to keep a bunch of things in mind while you're actually playing is well, the worst advice. I think during during a game, I think often people do this pretty naturally, yeah, right? Where yeah. they use the opportunity to interact with the character to also either ham it up or chew the scenery or have yeah. some banter or do some other stuff that in effect is revealing more about their relationship. Uh, but I think when you're writing, especially going back, like you said, in the editing stage and seeing like, what is each piece of my writing doing? Right. That's maybe something where it's like, I have this side character for this plot reason. Is there a way to act to, to use this conversation to deepen the relationship? Even if it's a throwaway character, as we see in, in Rockford files, the throwaway characters that have these weird little idiot syncrasies and and these little moments are so memorable and make the world feel so much more alive like the bus driver with his like you want to get that picture laminated it'll last longer (laughs) you know and he's kind of like a dirty old man a little bit um stuff like that one other thing that this episode in particular really made me think about is this technique for getting a game started that is is really effective i'm going to talk about two terms here which are uh, called kickers and bangs people who have been in the uh indie rpg world may be familiar with these terms uh they're from a game called sorcerer uh by ron edwards originally and have been reinterpreted and and re reused in other forms since but the basic ideas are are this that when you make your character for a game and you're going to get started with the the plot. You're going to start the first session or whatever. The kicker is the situation that puts the character into motion. Uh, in Sorcerer, this is a player-authored thing. So in this case, uh, if someone's playing Jim Rockford, maybe they're looking at the character and saying like, oh, this guy's kind of a loner. He kind of doesn't have all these great relationships with women necessarily. Roma- he doesn't have long-term romantic relationships. What if... We start off with him having a long-term romantic relationship that's suddenly taken away from him, right? That's right. that's the kicker. That gets him. That gets the plot going. That gets the story going. He's in a relationship with this woman, Karen, and she disappears. He needs to find out what happens. And then bangs are events introduced into the game that are thematically significant that drive it 
along and, and make it necessary for the character to make a choice about how to go forward. And a lot of the time people will, will think about like kind of like a sequence of them or a number of them that you can kind of throw in whichever is most appropriate when the time comes. Like prepared ahead of time. You'd have this prepared but... ahead of time or maybe develop them as the game progresses right. because you see where things are going, right? So in this case, like the first one might be, and there's a dead body in the bushes outside, right? <laughs> now Rockford has to make a choice. Does he, you know, does does he investigate that or does he stay focused on Karen because that's what's important to him? That's like a thematic choice, right? Like if you're, right. if this was a game, that's a why where he could have gone into investigating why that guy died. Mm-hmm. Like maybe the case is more important to him, but in this case, it's Karen that's more important to him. Yeah. Um, so these two ideas... I think they're they're present in a lot of episodic writing, right? Like you have a right. thing at the beginning that gets everything going, and then you have uh, events that happen that make the players or ha- make the, the the character have to make an important choice about how to go forward. But codifying those ideas is really it's really helpful for me because the idea of we need to get to the next stage of the game. How do we get to there from where we are? That's a bang. That's like, here's a, here's a thing. Like the woman is not the woman you thought she was. The mob is involved, right? Like these are things that, that make a splash that make Rockford have to go into action from there. Yeah. Like another uh, possible bang is the whole scene uh, when he finally tracks the mystery woman that is pretending to be Karen Mm -hmm. the whole time down to her hotel room. Right. And, and it's revealed that maybe not particularly revealed that she hasn't been, Karen all along because that doesn't really get revealed until later but it's just revealed that this goes much deeper mm-hmm. than just finding out where she wandered off to that night. And again the the idea is that is thematically significant. So in that case Rockford was sure that he was on the right track. And yeah. then when it's revealed that that's not what he thought it was or he thinks it's not what he thought it was you see that he has to recalibrate his entire approach and see what happens to him when he's stymied because we don't see that right. very often either where he's just like hits a brick wall and doesn't know where to go from there and literally this is when he turns to uh rocky exactly right? this is this is where this is our state at the very beginning of the episode when he starts talking to rocky so yeah uh whether those are kind of inherited from the narrative that this was adapted from or kind of inserted by the 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 script writers for this particular episode i think those ideas um the kickers and bangs, but also the idea of having the place to go for the character to to both deepen their relationship and also move the story along um, and have the ever-present details that are called out for us about what's important, what's not, having the thunder, you know, as you say, be, yeah, yeah. be, be revealed. Those all have strong analogs in this episode um, and jumped out at us as useful pieces for putting together your own games and stories. The other bit is just sort of this interaction between uh, Rocky, Jim, and also between Jim and Becker. There's there's stuff to be found there, too. Like, just the little bits. Like, they'll... You can look at all of how these interactions occurred and see how um, they just pushed the story along. And that's perfectly fine. Whatever. But... <laughs> It says with disinterest, <laughs> uh, but but the the fact that they also revel in the relationship between these characters that that it's not just it's incredibly loving what Rocky is doing in this episode. Like he's, uh, I could imagine if I were in that case, not to 
you know, I would be so, I, I could get frustrated with Jim. Like he's oh, being yeah. very mopey in the beginning and, uh, like, okay, well, I can't solve your problem. I'm not the private eye. So w- what are you doing here? You know, and then speaking of frustrated with Jim, there's Becker, <laughs> who, despite being incredibly frustrated, like he's so the, the moment when, when he first gets that call, he's so utterly exhausted by the idea that Jim would be calling. Right. It's like, oh, I have to deal with you uh, now? Like, I'm yeah. already here at 2.30 in the morning. Right. And uh, and he, he knows he's going he's gonna to catch heat from above. He knows that, you know, Jim's going to put him in a tight spot. So, again, like, Becker's definitely there. He's a resource for him. He's a way for Jim to kind of get the police to do something that's useful for him. Not necessarily do exactly what he wants. And not even to take his word for it, but at least to respect him enough that when he jumps in the car and says, you know, Vincent Manette is in the car in front of you, they just go for it. Right. They just, you know, he's, they're like, okay, that's <laughs> possible. Yeah, he's, he still has some, some amount of, um, some amount of cred. Uh, right. And there's, there's always a lot of like, how much is Becker really believing him about stuff? And there's yeah. kind of a switch between the stuff that he doesn't really believe him about. And then the stuff where it's like, okay, I know you're serious about this. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and so like it exists there as a way to get the story forward, but it also exists as this, this relationship and, uh, neither one gets lost mm-hmm. in the, the, the juggle there. Do you have anything else to say about sleight of hand? I think we hit almost everything in my notes. I had a bunch of things where I just wrote the word music and put an exclamation point. Yeah, the had... music's really, again, I think it's probably intentionally playing up a little bit on some of the noirish ideas. Yeah. Uh, the music's a little more, I don't know what a good word is. It's a little more nervous. It's a little more um, tense. tense. Yeah. 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 And, and because it's so sparse in this episode that oftentimes you just get nothing and then you get something and you're like whoa what what is that yeah and it's kind of underscoring big reveals and stuff yeah 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 it's good i think just watching it as someone who who appreciates how tv shows are put together stuff like the music and some of the framing is really interesting in this one and and unusual for other rockford files episodes right yeah the only other note i have here is that i, I just love the moment when he told deal and becker at the end when he jumped in the car i think they threatened to arrest him yeah and he's like, you're out of your jurisdiction. Yeah, yeah. He feels like, you're, you're under arrest. It's like, you're out of your jurisdiction. Yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. So let's let's get on mm-hmm. with it. Which, again, is they do mention how the inn is two hours away, right, from right, L.A. Yeah. So that's another one of those little details that just, like, hooks back in and is like, oh, right, obviously. Yeah, he's very specifically told not to go, not not to leave town. Don't leave town. Mm-hmm. And then they then they yell at him for leaving town. He's like, "Yeah, but now you can't touch me." Uh, well, like we said, kind of a kind of a downer of an episode. I'm not sure yeah. if I would uh, recommend this for your lighthearted first viewing of the Rockford Files. But take it in context of all the different kinds of episodes that are that exist in the series. Uh, definitely stands out. I think. Yeah, I would definitely put it on a must see list. But I'd also not watch it after a hard day. <laughs> all right. Well. Seems to me like we've earned our 200 for today. So, yes. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files.